Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, better, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I left corporate America to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped late 2018 and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our goals and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Dr. Nikki Starr believes that sometimes life can take us on a journey that we didn't plan for, and she is living proof. From eating, breathing, sleeping, dermatology in New York City, to having her life derailed after buying a one-way ticket to Europe, she shares with us how life can be a beautiful surprise by giving us experiences we never could have imagined. Dr. Nikki Starr is a medical doctor turned transformational life coach, meditation leader, and power and purpose activator. She went through medical school to realize the prescription to a healthy, happy life is self-care and love as medicine. After traveling the world to deepen her spiritual practice and appearing on Utopia, the Fox television show about creating a new society, she is now based in Malibu and Los Angeles, where she works with people around the globe via her online and in-person healing sessions and transformational programs and courses. Her mission is to reach millions to elevate love on the planet, the healing of humanity, and awakening of consciousness to create a better Earth. Today, Dr. Nikki Starr and I talk about the transformational power of yoga, traveling, human connection, and how stepping outside of our comfort zone can open our eyes to a new way of seeing the world. Let's dig in. I am so excited to introduce to the Gold audience today, Dr. Nikki Starr Noche. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I was so fascinated by your background and all of your adventures and experiences and excited to have you on Gold. Um, I know we've, we talked a little bit right before we got started um, about the fact that you um, are a doctor, you went to med school, and you have had a, such an interesting life since and kind of a, a turn and transition of events that I want to dig into with you. But I wanted to ask you first... Um, coming from, I always find it fascinating when I meet people who have experience in the medical field and then find their minds or hearts or souls opened to kind of some of the more universal laws or to more um, holistic ways of looking at life. What was that transition like for you? Was there ever like an aha moment? Um, what was what was the transition, the turn? There was definitely both aha moments and then also just how the universe and life is such a beautiful surprise mm -hmm. and how we can plan one thing and think that our life is going to be that and then we're completely derailed perhaps in a good way and so that was kind of what was happening to me is I was having these little illumination moments where I was doing yoga or meditating or traveling or scuba diving or skydiving and having these moments of oneness where I felt connected to everything. And I, and in those moments, a lot of times I questioned like, is what I'm doing the right thing? Mm. And, and it was a lot of, it was getting out of my comfort zone and trying new things. So by doing something like yoga, that is an ancient practice that aligns our energy centers, it creates like spontaneous changes in the way we see the world, the way we look at life and, 
just experience the day to day. Like I, I was very much a type A person. And then I noticed after yoga, my mood was completely different. I was really laid back and go with the flow. So I was seeing like major transformation and just how I was presenting in the world. What were you originally planning on studying? Like what was going to be your field? My plan was for dermatology. Mm -hmm. And I was like, eat, breathe, sleep, dermatology, dermatology, dermatology. And during medical schools, when I started traveling, and that's when I started opening my eyes to more than New York City, Mm. more than the world of medicine. Isn't it interesting how travel does that to you? I think it's such an important gift that we have because we become so insular and insulated. And we think that the world is what's exactly around us. And the moment you get to experience other things, it, it has a tendency to kind of like pop you out of that kind of self-imposed, <laughs> the expectations of the way life should be. Um, and I've also had such wonderful experiences in yoga that I find like I'm constantly trying to, to get those again, right? You have these almost transcendent moments and you're like, I want that back. I want to have that experience back. Um, when you made the decision to to say, you know, say, I don't want to be involved um, necessarily in medical, I want to look at it. What was that? What was the next career path? What was the next choice? Well, that was kind of what I was sharing where sometimes life just takes you on a journey and you don't even plan for it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't actually initially plan to leave Western medicine. Uh, it was after my intern year and I was going to travel So I said, okay, let me just do like a one-way ticket before I come back and do more research to apply for dermatology. I finished my intern year and I was like, I just need a break. Let Mm. me just go take a one-way ticket to Ibiza and just dance and party and have fun. And I ended, it was a one-way ticket. So I ended up staying in Europe that whole summer, even into September and the end of that trip, I was really looking for a month-long yoga retreat, but that didn't really exist. So I kept finding teacher trainings, teacher trainings. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just do a teacher training because, I mean, it, you know, why not? I can use it with, like, anti-aging. I could do, like, and then I thought about opening up a medical spa and doing maybe, like, Botox and yoga and nutrition because one of my – part of my bachelor's is in nutrition too. And that's when it was just, like, a big accident. Like, I – went and did that yoga teacher training and then I never went back to medicine. Mm. I love that. I've had moments where I flirted with the idea of leaving it all behind and becoming a yoga teacher. I was just, because I was in finance was my background. And so I was like in the, you know, the line suits and the super high heels. But then I would find myself and my answers on my mat. And I'm like, there's got to be a different way. Like I wish I could like create this type of environment in a business meeting. That would be amazing. That would be like the perfect life. Um, I love that. Now, and I know that you were, um, you've had this adventure, you've had this experience, um, and you created your own practice. And one of the things I'm curious about is I I know that you were also Dr. Love on Utopia, and I find that really fascinating. How did that happen? How did that come about? So when they were casting all of us, they had us finish the sentence, my utopia is and I said, all about love. Hmm. And I and they were like, huh? You know, what does that even mean? So then I started to explain to them, like, just for me, what is a utopia is where everyone really gets along and there's deep friendship and deep connection where, like, hugging and even cuddling and connecting is, like, the norm. Like, that's, that's what we lead with. 
Mm -hmm. And for me, that's like why it's so beautiful to be human. And I'm like that with my friends and my family. Like I'm just a very affectionate person. And even like with my students after classes, I'm often like hugging everyone and I'm just a hugger naturally. And so we didn't know what they were going to hashtag each one of us. And so they hashtag me Dr. Love based on like what my beliefs are around relationships and connection and so it was really a fun experience that then translated into even now in my life, certain things that I do. So, and I think that'll continue to evolve that title of Dr. Love. I love that. I think it's really interesting how sometimes the world shows us who we are. Like we, re- we, we don't even realize that some of the things that are facets of our personality or our character, or our value systems are so beautiful to others that they're drawn to those parts of us. And so sometimes you are more seen through the eyes of another, right? And so you get this hashtag and you're able to create almost a practice. And um, and I know that it's become a much of a part of your platform is talking about love and intimacy and connectedness. And I just think that's such a beautiful um, place to kind of uh, explore because one of the things I've, I've seen, especially from our listeners or have experienced from our listeners, is that... Um, people are afraid of, of conflict and intimacy um, for, for a variety of reasons. And even when you're talking about I'm a hugger, it's so funny because immediately the first thing that comes to my mind is I was raised in a family that was, you know, one of my, my mother was an addict and she was not very affectionate. And so I actually sometimes bristle when there's human connection unless I really love the person. But as I've grown in my own, I realize how much we crave it. Sometimes the people who are the most uncomfortable with human connection are the ones who crave it the most. They just don't know how to get there. So I'm so curious, when you had this utopian experience and you're bringing everything from a place of love, were the other people receptive? What was the kind of communication and the takeaways that you experienced from your experience with the cast and your belief system and how did you kind of take that into your own practice so yeah it's really interesting that at first some people were like huh there was maybe like two that were like cool with it that Mm -hmm. felt that I felt like you know they were totally huggers too and it like wasn't a big deal because I think we had funny experiences where we had to like sleep on the floor of this like big barn and so with some of the women, like we would sleep next to each other and kind of cuddle. And, and so then people were like, oh, is it like a lesbian thing? And it's like, <laughs> no, it's not. Like it's totally like from a space of love. Mm-hmm. But by the end, the hardest, like the guys who were like the most like macho-y, like, you know, it would never do anything like that. It was like hugging became part of the culture in Utopia. Mm. Like it was kind of like this, it was a little bit of a joke, but it was nice because everyone really wanted it. Like we'd end like meetings and things like that with hugs. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, every single human is desiring more touch and hugs and connection and affection. And it really comes down to who really allows it when it presents and who is open to giving it a try, even if it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I guide an experience called Adventures in Intimacy, which is all about that different fun ways to deepen in human connection. Do you find that people are like, 
when you when you have these workshops like I'm immediately thinking for me if I go to like I went to a Tony Robbins thing and they made you they were like hug each other and like we had complete strangers coming up to you hugging you and I was so (laughs) uncomfortable and like by the third or fourth time I was totally like all right fine but then there's also like as a woman like sometimes you're uncomfortable with a man coming up and hugging you that you don't know you're just like I like it, it made me very uncomfortable um but I, I see it even with with children. Like they're constantly reaching out to be touched and for affection. And they want that love and that that comfort that at some point in time we have a tendency to be like, watch your personal space. Like I even caught myself doing that with my daughter the other day because there was someone visiting and she was kind of all up on them. And I'm like, hey, give him his personal space. And I'm curious like – I wonder where we do this, where we start to worry about touch and, you know, coming from a corporate environment, of course, it was, I was a, I'm a, I was a hugger with people that I really cared for. So like if I had a partner, a business partner that I worked with for a long time and they walked into the room and I hadn't seen them for a while, I would absolutely give them a hug. I will say once the Me Too movement started, all of the men in the office started to kind of like, like they'd shove their hands out and be like, shake my hand. <laughs> like they were so uncomfortable. And I totally I, understand that. But I think that there's like, it makes me sad that as humans, like what we crave the most, we're also the most fearful of in a lot of ways. So like when you lead these retreats, are people really like hesitant at first to touch each other? Yes. You, and so it's funny as we go on a journey where we begin with eye gazing and hugging and and everyone is so stiff in the beginning. It's totally normal. You also see the instances where people are like, oh my God, I've met you before, like mm, meaning in another yeah. life. Like there's this instantaneous like connection. So there's you see both. Mm-hmm. The thing is that by the end of the whole experience, I have them go back through and connect with the people that they started with. And everyone is completely different. Mm-hmm. Heart open, relaxed, shoulders relaxed, pupils dilated. And really, everyone's like huge smile on their face. So it is this hump to get over. But in the end, everyone benefits. What would you say to like couples who are experiencing, maybe they've been together for a little while. And so that like first blush of love is kind of a little more gray. And maybe there's a little more like resentment building. And they're having a harder time with that connection. Um, what do you say, what would you say to someone like that? Who's like, I don't feel seen in my relationship or we're not connecting as much. Like what steps could they take to find each other again? So one of the things I do is couples coaching and I've helped to save couples from getting divorced, like literally divorce papers filed, like them not speaking to each other. And then one, like in particular, I'm thinking of one where the husband came to me and it's like, this is what happened. And in hearing the story, I'm like, are you sure you don't want to reconcile? Because so often people just choose to like throw away a relationship over a disagreement. Mm. So many times it's around communication and not taking that time for connection to really see each other, to really touch each other, to really connect. And I'm not even saying talking about sex. I'm talking about just like human to human. So many times in the Adventures in Intimacy workshop, So many times couples come and they're like, I can't even remember the last time I looked in my partner's eyes like this. And it rekindles the romance. 
think it really is a powerful tool to, and they, these are like dynamics. These are certain specific actions you take that foster deeper connection around eye gazing, around touch, around ways to communicate, ways to share our needs, ways to listen. And all of these are really so, so powerful in deepening not only connection with your partner, but even with strangers. That's really interesting. So like I, I remember reading an article about like the questions you could ask your someone to fall in love. Like I can't remember what the I, – I wrote about it at one point in time, but it was like here are like intimate personal questions that you can ask your loved one to drive intimacy deeper. And I had first started dating my boyfriend and I was like, hey, we should try this because I was writing about it. And thank God, I think we had been dating for like a month and we really liked each other because it was so incredibly personal. But it was really interesting because um, we found out things about the person's soul, right? And beliefs and hurts and pains that I think made us more human. And I noticed that as we were talking, we were no longer facing forward, but our bodies had started to kind of mirror each other. And we'd started turning in towards each other. We'd started looking into each other's eyes. And like there was a specific vulnerable moment where like I I kind of got a little choked up ex- like answering one of the questions, you know, because it was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to show you this really, this like soft part of my belly, the underbelly. And he kind of just like reached out and touched my hand. And there are moments now, we've been together for a year and a half, where we're raising kids, we're running from here to there, and I have forgotten that person, right? And I'm frustrated because there's laundry everywhere, and we're doing all these things, and um, I've had to remind myself at times to sit across from him and, and like square up body image or body language and look him in the eye and stop thinking about myself even last night like he has a friend that has recently passed and I had a lot going on in my mind and he needed to talk about what was happening and just holding his gaze and giving him space it changed both of our like he felt he, he was able to process I think the grief out loud and I was able to connect with him and make him feel supported but it was a very conscious thing at first and I think that that's probably one of my takeaways is that sometimes we get so caught up in what is on our minds and like what we're doing, especially raising children and, you know, careers and things like that, that we sometimes have to make these conscious decisions to see each other again, to kind of see the, the humanity in one another. And I think that the, the eye contact and the mirroring, mir- mirroring body language was huge for us. I'm curious when you've got couples in front of you and they've got so much resentment built up, do you ever do you find that they have to get through a couple of like rough fights to get to that place where they can look upon each other with kindness? Well, I think that when you say like people don't like confrontation or conflicts or fights or anything like this, it's, we need to communicate to find common ground. And I don't even like to say that there are any of those things. I feel like it's just a way to better understand each other. Mm. And oftentimes, yes, when we take the time to, really understand both people because most of the times we're not asking our partner questions like hmm like imagining that they're like an alien and they have a completely different logic system than you so they might think like this thing is supposed to be like this and you grew up in a totally different way so you think it's supposed to be like that 
neither one is right or wrong. It's just a matter of being able to see the other person and appreciate their difference. And it's like this agreement to disagree, but not because one is right or one is wrong. It's just you come from different places. Mm -hmm. So really opening up into a space of compassion. And the only way that can happen is one, if you're choosing to acknowledge like, this person is different from me. And actually it's our differences of us coming together that makes our relationship stronger and more powerful because you bring different things to the table. Mm, So a lot of times it's been about helping couples. Like I know once where like one is frugal and the other one likes to spend, I'm like, you guys are a perfect match. Don't you see, you know? And then they're like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, sometimes having that coach outside of themselves to be like, Hey guys, you think this is so bad, but look at actually the benefit of it. Oh, I love that. And I agree. So I've been working with a coach, um, an executive coach for two years, and I probably wouldn't be, I I don't know that my relationship would be as strong as it is if I didn't have an objective third party who was able to kind of look at us and say, hey, like, here's the beauty in you and the beauty in him, right? And like here are the things that you don't even recognize because we get so caught up. So I 100% believe in in having sometimes a third party help us kind of recognize um, the beauty and the flaw, right? And, and all of the connection points. But you mentioned a word that I think is really important and that's compassion. And I think that that's something like I know I'm trying to teach my daughter to have – what does that conversation look like with your with the people that are hiring you to coach them and work through? Like, how are you helping them learn how to to build that compassion muscle in relationship? So oftentimes it's about asking. It's that you know that time old saying of put yourself in the other person's shoes, mm-hmm. where you really look at what their life experiences. So actually, we can even bring it back to like when I was on that show, Utopia, because this was actually aired on TV. There was an ex-convict on the show. He was like one of the ones casted. And he really had terrible interpersonal skills. Like he didn't really know how to speak and communicate. He would just yell and get angry. He had to really, a few people had anger management issues. And so I can't remember what happened. Something happened and they're like, oh, oh, actually, two guys got into a fist fight, actually. Um, but both of them were instigating each other, but they wanted to vote out the guy who was the ex-con because they felt like it was him that really started, but really it was everyone contributing. Well, everyone who was involved in that altercation. And then I was saying, now we all at one point were sharing what our backgrounds were. And this man, he never knew his father. His mother was a prostitute and he grew up on the streets and like, you know, the inner cities of New York City. And for me, I was just like, guys, can't you just see that he needs love? Like he acts out like this and he's been in prison. He's had such a hard life. And they're like, I don't care. I don't care. And I was like, for me, I was like, oh my goodness, can't they just see that? Like, look at the hard life he's had. This Mm -hmm. is why he behaves like this. And so I feel like that's an excellent sharing of what compassion is. Like, you know, I wasn't mad at the, per- like, it's really like not taking what other people do personally. Yes, It's about being able to just see like this person has had experiences and life circumstances that has caused them to relate to the world in a certain way. And then they respond to the world in a certain way. 
And what we can do is instead of taking things personally, we can choose to see them as compassionate and say, okay, I understand. I can possibly understand why this person did this and have more forgiveness. And with that, even be in a space that's more grounded and peaceful that perhaps if it's a situation that's happening and you're involved, it's much easier to find common ground and harmony again because you're more forgiving, you're more compassionate. I love that. I always think of people as having like this little gray thought bubble behind their head with all of their previous life experiences and all of the things, the trauma and all of the events and what you're seeing is the face of that, right? And so that's helped me many times in in issues of conflict, especially when someone's really upset with me and I don't feel it's justified. It used to be that I would be like, don't come at me like that and like throw my own kind of (laughs) shade because I was learning how to establish boundaries because of my own past, right? So I felt the need to really just kind of throw it back at them. And we were having this power struggle because we're both triggered by something um, and experience a conversation that it it becomes larger than what it needs to be. Um, because we're both experiencing some kind of pain. And I finally got to a place where there was so much self-awareness that I was able to just kind of sit there very calmly and let the person be upset with me and, and realize, like, they're not actually upset with me. They're, they're, they're frustrated about some other things that are happening. It's not as big. And because I was able to, to stay in a place of um, compassion, like you said, Um, we were able to get to a really beautiful middle ground quickly because I wasn't lighting their fire, right? I was seeing them and saying like, you know, I'm going to take ownership for what I've done. Um, If there was any negative kind of things that had happened, there was one experience where I did have someone get upset with me and I'm like, you cannot talk to me like this again. (laughs) I understand that you're angry with me. I'm going to take ownership for the things that I did, but I will not accept this type of speech. And they were like, oh, well, wow, like, the idea that someone else would take ownership for their own bad behavior was so, I think, surprising that it immediately disarmed the situation, you know. And I feel like um, we have a tendency to go to situations and, with our old stuff. So I love what you said about compassion and seeing what's going on with the other person. I'm so curious because, like, you've had this really beautiful arc. Um, your story arc is really fascinating to me when I was when I was reading up on you. And, you know, going from wanting to be a dermatologist to being cast in this show where you get to have this really immersive experience. You've traveled, you've had all these amazing um, kind of opportunities that have shown up. What has changed over the course of that that span of time from medical school till now? Um, What lessons have you taken from each of those things? Are you different than you were when you left Utopia? Like, what, what do you think that you've really taken as... Um, growth experiences or, or lessons. I am so excited to finally announce what I am working on because it has been so hard not to talk about it. Today, Gold is brought to you by Live Media and I couldn't be more thrilled. Live is an app that will launch Christmas 2019. I have partnered with a team previously of Disney Pixar who want so deeply to use tech for good and we're using tech for great. I have a special VIP experience built out and planned for my gold listeners. You guys have been on this journey with me, so I can't wait to introduce you to my baby. Through mindfulness and accountability offerings, including meditation, breathwork, intentional living routines, challenges, and lifestyle coaching, Liv will provide you with the tools, community, and support you need to live your very best life, 
leveling up in every aspect. Live meets you where you are and grows with you. Each week, your Live Lab will be curated with talks, articles, meditations, visualizations, challenges, and support to help you move your goals forward in 90-day increments. At the end of 90 days, we will celebrate your accomplishments with you before assisting in selecting those goals you'd like to include in the next 90. Available to you at all times is a phone or chat session with an accountability coach, a master coach, or through an email submission to Dear Live so that we can support you every step of the way. Live is your lifestyle and productivity concierge, a thoughtful guide and an intuitive coach to help you get out of your own way, to create, to pay it forward, because a healthy you today means a healthier world tomorrow. Gold listeners will receive a free 30-day VIP experience. That means access to all of the bells and whistles by using code GOLDVIP, all caps, at loveisviral.com. Again, that is loveisviral.com, code GOLDVIP in all caps. Join the movement. What do you think that you've really taken as um, growth experiences or, or lessons? So I'm definitely different. I mean, aren't we all right? With every breath, we're changing. With every experience, we're different. So what was different about from when I left medical school and I was traveling the world and then was on Utopia and then I even went and was living half time in a community in Italy. What's different now is I'm so focused and really grounding and grounding into Malibu, Los Angeles and just really like I'm here to birth certain books mm-hmm. and online programs and courses. Like I work with people through coaching, but I've also created women's program. So what feels like the time is I went and I went and I was collecting all this information and all these experiences. And now I'm in the sharing part and the teaching part. So I host events in Los Angeles as well as working with people online and in person. And I have events out of my home and I, I also teach at different studios in Los Angeles And now is really the part of where I'm imparting the knowledge that I've received, you know, having already integrated it into my life experience. So some would call that wisdom. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is the experiences you've lived. Mm -hmm. And so now is really the time of, of sending things out into the world. How does that feel? It feels so good. I never thought the day would come where I'm like, I don't even want to travel. Like, <laughs> you know, I never thought that day would come because I was, by the time I was 25, I touched every continent except Antarctica. I have always been in search of something. And really what it was is just collect- the collection of the experiences to help me remember who I truly am. So it was needing to do the yoga teacher training. It was needing to do 10-day silence retreats. It was needing to go to live in a community, even be in monk preparation for three months, et cetera. Plus all the experiences I've had in love and relationships. And it's been a beautiful, beautiful journey. And and now to kind of come home and feel that coming home to then really, it's almost like giving birth in a way, to give birth to all of these projects and books and coaching programs and teachings is really such a gift. And so inspiring. Like, there's nothing else I want to do. I love that. So, like, it's it, I, I relate to that so deeply because I've had this really interesting, you know, career trajectory where I have this finance background. I work with ultra-affluent. I did all of these things, but in the process learned about the, how we can use corporate for good, basically, like the marriage of corporate and, and like, 
capitalism meets heart, right? And all of a sudden, it, it catapulted me to this new place. And I've had, like, people are looking at me like, what are you working on? What are you doing? Because it's just been this really fun. But I'm, like, in this place all of a sudden where I'm, like, all of my life experiences, all of the jobs that I had, all of the things that I've done, all of the writing that I've done for years, the book that I had published, all of the speeches that I've given, even the experience in corporate America where we started to get involved in social impact. Like, all of these things have led me to this place. And even though outwardly, it's like what's she working on what's she doing it's the most grounded I've ever felt and it's that kind of place when I ask like how does it feel I, I feel the same way it's kind of like you're finally like oh this is why I was doing all of these things and traveling and and experiencing all of these different things because now I have something to share and it's a really beautiful grounded feeling um I feel like and I don't know if you feel the same way like well, you did say you're like, you're searching, like you're constantly looking for something. You're not sure what your next thing is. And now I know I'm like, okay, I've got it. This is my thing. <laughs> this is the thing that I meant to do and why I collected all of these life lessons. And even the bad things that happened, um, were there for me to serve me so that I would understand how to handle them from this, this, this vantage point. So I totally understand that. And I, I love it. Um, I'm curious based on all of your life experiences, all of the things if you were to look back at a younger version of yourself, what age would she be and what advice would you give her? Hmm. I guess it would be the part of me when I was really ungrounded because I was traveling so much and there was this part of me that was like, oh my gosh, is this like responsible? And hmm. so there was this moment of being so different from like everyone else I knew because it's not always the culture so much in America to kind of do that, especially after you've gotten a degree. And and I would just always tell her to follow your heart. It doesn't matter what other people are doing or even thinking about you. Just if you feel like you need to be traveling, like keep traveling until that travel bug is finished. Hmm you know, keep doing whatever it is that's pulling you and, and don't worry and about it because it's, it's going to be necessary. It's part of you accumulating information. I love that. I love that because we do have kind of this expectation that you go to school, you get your degree, you start your career, you do your thing. <laughs> and exactly. yeah. And to give yourself permission to be like, I don't have to follow the tried and true path. I have a friend like that now who, um, she is Persian and her family has a very specific idea of the way her life should look. And she's like a nomad. She's traveling all over the world. And she's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I'm like, keep doing you girl. Like this is, you're able to make it work and you're, you know, she's able to, to fund it. So I'm like, keep doing it. It's going to all make sense one day. I love that. Um, if you, if we were at the end of your life and you were leaving behind nuggets of gold wisdom or inspiration for the next generation, for, um, those you love that you're leaving, what would you want to share? I would want to share about the power of human connection and to spend as much time with loved ones in a beautiful healing space of touch, like holding hands. And even if you're sitting on a bench to really like lean into each other, like this aspect of touch and human connection. Mm. And also for the young generation, I really want them to know the power of our sexual energy and how important it is to use it consciously and how pornography and all of these things are actually a big waste and sink of energy and are supporting 
sex trafficking, which is a new form of slavery in our world. And so to really be mindful of how that energy is used and to even study up the ancient practices and techniques of Taoism and Tantra so that that sexual energy can be used for all creation, projects, new businesses, ideas, and also to give us more energy. That's so powerful. Um, That's so incredibly powerful because I think – I, I live in Las Vegas, and we have a, a, a trail that runs through Vegas, um, human trafficking. And so we're very aware of, of the effects and how it um, – but we don't spend enough time talking to young people about their sexuality and, and what that means um, and the responsibility that comes along with it. And I think that that's a really – beautiful message. It's something that I know when I was doing my research for my book, I was talking to a lot of women about how their parents talked to them about sex. And they, there was mixed messages. Some of their parents did not talk to them about sex at all. Otherwise, it was shame-based conversation or your body is something you give to a man. There was very few healthy conversations. And I think it was just the time and people looking at sexuality and especially with children you feel very uncomfortable talking to them as they're starting to grow and change but I think the idea that we talk to it as like a sacred responsibility um and something that you share with someone you love and and what it creates I think that that's a really beautiful kind of message for parents who are raising um kids who are starting to ask the questions um and I'm really glad that you said that I was actually talking to my daughter she's She's eight now and understands what sex is. And one of the things I've shared with her is that there's different stages that we're going to talk about different things. And, you know, when you get to the point where a boy starts to hold your hand or want to kiss you, I need you to let me know, not because you're in trouble, but because that also comes with new boundaries, expectations, and conversations that we need to explore together so that you're prepared for what's going to come of that, that there's energy attached to that that you're not prepared for now um, and that I want to help you prepare for um, with with conversation. And so just having those conversations I think is so important because I was so lost. (laughs) I was so lost and confused. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's – Yeah, I think that's beautiful that you're already proactive because the statistics show that most children learn about sex through pornography. Yeah. And so just to think how skewed – like. We all know that sex isn't really like porn. Like, sure, we can have porn kind of sex, but it's really not the true connected kind of sex. And so for children to learn like all these different nuances and even know that pornography exists and know, and even if they're told the truth about that too, of like what it is and and even from a young age, really educating them because it's it's everywhere. It's really rampant. It's really the number one industry. Like most profited industry on the planet and it's not at the expense of, and it's at the expense of women's lives so so yeah I think it's really such an important conversation and I feel the not-for-profits like I'm in the early stages of creating a not-for-profit and one sector of it is connected to the public service announcements um, around pornography and sex and sexual education and also saving women and rehabilitating them who have been sex trafficked Wow, that's so powerful. I um, we have quite a few nonprofits here that are doing really, really great work in that space. Um, 
And I'm just like so proud when we go to the airports and in the bathrooms, there's signs that are like, if you were the victim, here's the number to call. And um, the airlines and the airports here and the hotels have all been trained. Um, But we don't dig into, I think, the fundamentals on helping kids understand what it is before they see it, I think is huge. Um, And having these really important conversations, I think a lot of times people are afraid. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. want that in my kid's head. Well, it's going to get there. So, <laughs> exactly. How much? I remember being in elementary school. I think I was in fourth or fifth grade, and one of the one of my classmates brought her dad's Playboy magazines to school. Mm. So, how old are you in fourth or fifth grade? Right, like nine or ten. Not exactly. So you still, it still happens. Like it still infiltrates and comes into kids' space, whether you want it to or not. You can have like so much control over your kids, and you never know. They could be with their like eight-year-old friends. You know, <laughs> well, and especially I've noticed like if they have older siblings, I've noticed kids with older siblings tend to learn things earlier than the ones who are the <laughs> yeah. oldest child. And so, like, there's sometimes Olivia will come home and she'll say things. I'm like, How do you know that? And she's like, So and so. And I'm like, Oh, they have an older brother or sister who probably is, is helping them <laughs> with that conversation. But we have a lot of we have a lot of conversations about body positivity and expectations and, um, you know, I've explained like with sex comes a lot of emotion. And so you need to make sure that it's someone that you really care about. And that's something that I want to help you understand when you're ready. Because right now she thinks it's gross. She's like, that's really disgusting, mom. And I'm like, I know. But, you know, she has so many questions about how babies come into the world. And I wasn't going to like sugarcoat it. I'm like, I'm going to give you the actual words. Because I've also read um, a statistic that children that don't have the appropriate languaging for their bodies and functionality are more likely to be molested or targeted because they don't know what's good or bad, what feels good, what feels bad. Like, they don't know what appropriate touch is. So from a very young age, I knew with my daughter, like, she was going to have the actual words, which has made for some uncomfortable situation, public situations, which is like, (laughs) so, Mom, tell me again about that thing. And everyone's looking at me. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, But I think that's – I mean, I learned about it when I was in kindergarten. I was five, and a little boy jumped on top of me and said he was going to do bad things to me, right? And so I learned about it way earlier than I should have um, because of things that he was experiencing and seeing at home. And, you know, you never know what influences are going to affect your kids. So I'm really glad that we had this conversation. I think it's such an important conversation. And I think, like, I totally appreciate that – People want to be conscientious about what they share with their kids. But if you're aware of the influences that are out there, if they get the the knowledge from you or they even know, hey, if this question comes up or you start to see this or this happens, I want you to tell me about it because I want to prepare you for what that looks like, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's beautiful that we were able to touch on that. And, And in a way, you see how this is kind of a thread of the doctor love. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's all kind of feeding itself in terms of just because human connection, part of that is the sex that we have and the lovemaking and as as well as the platonic aspects of human connection. It's all of it. And it's it's our life force. Mm -hmm. And it's part of our creative channels, too, not just for procreation, but to create anything. Well, I'm so thrilled that you came on today and shared your gold with us. I really love the conversation. I have a feeling you and I are going to talk again about um, work 
on the we have so much that we're doing so many nonprofits that we're connected here with in Las Vegas on the sex trafficking and um, I'm, I, I know that we have great connectivity there so I want to thank you for being on the show if people are interested in finding you where could they look you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Nikki Starr D-R-N-I-K-K-I-S-T-A-R-R and my website is drnikkistar.com it's spelled the same way and also we can include a link where if people want to enter their email, you can receive a free guided meditation. And yeah, that, that should be good enough to be able to find me. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Nikki. I appreciate you being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love Dr. Nikki's belief that through the healing power of compassion, communication, and human connection, we can create a utopia that is all about love. Learn more at drnikkistar.com or follow her on Instagram at drnikkistar. Facebook is drnikkistarnochemd. Gold listeners, don't forget to sign up for your 30-day Live VIP experience at loveisviral.com. Code GOLDVIP in all caps. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. Get deep in the work with me to uncover your messaging before you pass it on to your children or the people you influence. Pick up my new book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. You can always find me on Instagram at ms.janetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.